Sass Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SaaS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit austinlawrence.com today and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CEOs and CMOs to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. Our guest today is Ulf Arnett, founder and chairman of Howie Technologies, a SaaS enterprise execution software that helps CEOs to orchestrate strategy implementation at every level of their organization. Hey, Ulf, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here, Kim. So this is going to be a great episode. I'm really excited about our topics. Before we get started, I'd love you just to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your company, because I think it's a really interesting background and this company also very interesting. So I'm Swedish and my business idea have always been to start a company, a software company in Sweden and prove the business idea with customers and revenue and profit and so on. The business ideas have always been to solve a business problem that haven't been solved before. And instead then of growing to Norway or UK, which is the traditional way of growing a company, I have moved to the US and from the US grow my company internationally to quite large companies, actually. So I've done two exits so far to US NASDAQ listed companies. The company I'm working on right now is something I have done for 12 years. We started to sell increased revenue and profit to CEOs. And it was very much about how to make that measurable and also to prove that had an impact on increased revenue and profit. So it started in the beginning, like 90% consulting and 10% product. And then it became more and more product. And since the last four years, it's 96% license in our revenues. And we have customers in Europe and in the US. That's great. There's a couple of topics in there that I definitely want to talk with you about as we dig in deeper. And let's start with why Sweden is such a good place to incubate and start to grow these companies. We're very provincial here in the US. You know, it's like, the U.S. and the rest of the world, sort of very small, right, in our minds. But you've had this formula. And what makes Sweden a great place to start a company? I think it's several reasons. I think that we are number two, number three after U.S. Israel is also very successful, at least within the SaaS industry. I think one reason for why Sweden is, is great is that you have very much around Stockholm. So you have startups, you have mid-sized companies, you have very large companies like Ikea, Ericsson, H&M, and so on. It's very concentrated. Here in the U.S., you have to travel more. It costs much more money. 
it could be difficult to build a culture versus in Sweden, it's quite easy to get the talents you, you would like to have and, and have with you in this type of journey. It's also easy to find the customers. And at least my companies, which have been focused on a business challenge, are always the same. So a CEO, for example, is measured on the same things in Sweden as a CEO in the U.S., yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. When we used to have a transatlantic marketing practice. I had an office in London for four years. And I think UK and Europe-based CEOs underestimate how big this country really is. And it's not a monoculture. You know, We can divide it up into 20 or more cultures, depending on how you want to take a look at the US. So I think it's really interesting. So in Sweden, then we have a high concentration of both the talent and the prospects in one place. And that makes sense that it would be a, a good place to start. Also, there's a lot of English spoken, right, in Sweden? It's very international nowadays. It's actually a gorgeous country for people who listen to this that haven't been there. It has really been blooming the last 20 years, a lot of culture. As you probably know, we are exporting a lot of music, movies, actually even in food, we are very good nowadays. So it, it, it's a strong country when it comes to entrepreneurship. You actually asked before why I think that is the reason. I think one reason have been that we have a welfare system, which means that if you fail when you start your company, you still could be back and survive. Yeah, you, it's not like you maybe are broke for the rest of your life. In the same time, as I would say that I have heard stories about entrepreneurs here in the US that have failed four or five or six times and then become very successful the seventh time. But so I think it's it's very similar. It's very similar cultures in Sweden and especially within this, because if a company could do even more revenue and profit, people are very interested in that. Maybe even more here in the US, but for sure in Sweden as well. Well Plus, I'm going to put a little plug in. My niece lives in Stockholm. So here's a little shout out to Sarah Wiggins, who's a great content marketer working in Stockholm. So let's talk a little bit about your prior experience. What are the key lessons you've learned, you know, growing, moving to companies into the U.S. and wider markets? You know, what are the lessons learned from growing them and selling those firms? You know, what are the key things that you've taken away from selling two companies that you've grown so far? I think for my first journey, so to say, you know, over to US and growing in US, and that went really well based on that I, I continued with a lot of people that I have been working with before, and we were just growing and growing, and we did great. We ended up to sell this company to a NASDAQ-listed company called Cambridge Technology Partners. And I, after a while, I became the head of Europe and me and the founder was very much like father and son. We had a great partnership, which of course helped our culture because we were very much the market leader in Europe. It created a very strong company together. The second, and of course I did a lot of mistakes there, but I had also a very good platform. We were moving on, so to say. In my second company, I failed in the beginning in the US. I did probably 200 mistakes. 
And as, as you know, I was very, very close to be bankrupt after two years. We were growing like crazy with like 200% per year, but the cost was also growing like 190% per year. So it was really tough time. And then I remember I was sitting down in a restaurant and trying to find out why am I not successful in this company versus the last company. And the mistake I did was that I didn't start from zero. I started, you know, with a very luxury office in Sweden and also in the US with assistants, very much hired a, a great executive team and managers or employees as well. And that didn't create the right culture. So that was the number one mistake I did very much. That if you start a company, you have to start from the bottom. It needs to be a, a real startup, at least if you're talking about the SaaS software company. So that was a mistake. And then I did a lot of other mistakes as well, because it included more challenges when it came to sales. That company was also selling to CEOs. And that was the first time I was focusing on selling to CEOs. And that is a little bit different. It takes time before you learn how to do that, and especially how to scale within your own organization. Yeah, that's a real interesting lesson learned, hiring this like thoroughbred team and having a high expense base instead of sort of forging a team with maybe younger, but more hungry execs, right? Yeah, and the problem that when it didn't take off, based on that, I was not in the driving seat. I haven't done as I have done in my previous company. And in this company, I have done all steps myself. And then other people are coming in doing something which I have done, but much better. But in the second company, I didn't do it myself. I hired people to do this. So I couldn't really know if we didn't take off in the speed I thought based on the prices or based on competition or based on how they were selling. But it was a strange situation because I did that in Sweden and we were very successful before starting in the US. And the mistake I did was, of course, that I haven't done the steps myself. I haven't packaged, haven't done the mistakes which you could correct. So when you bring in people, you know, that you have the right prices, you have a product which is unique or at least better than other products, etc. And then, of course, you feel much more comfortable. Is it a problem with the product? the customer, the prices, or the competition. Interesting. Hey, let's talk about the starting of Howie. And, you know, you I guess you did a lot of consulting work with CEOs before starting it really as a software company. Can you sort of take us back to the beginning and, you know, what you learned working with the CEOs and how this product sort of got created? Sure. First of all, I've been thinking about this idea for 10 years because when in my previous company, when we were selling applications also to CEOs more in B2B, then I had this experience that it was a lot of strategies done normally with McKinsey or someone. And the strategy included a lot of the situation today, a really good analyst about the market or the situation position. And then it, it may be 30, 35% about what they should change to in order to become more, very much more successful and increased shareholder value. And then it was some KPIs, you know, what revenue, what profit they should reach and normally then within a, a certain timeline, but it was nothing about how. So the idea was for 10 years to create an application that could take over after the strategy is done to help the CEO to make the strategy actionable and measurable 
not only by managers, but also all the way down to the employees. Because it's when the employee starts to focus and do more correct activities, then it's just a couple of weeks or months until you actually could relate that to increased re revenue and profit. And I think this is important for other entrepreneurs that are listening to this, that I have never started a company just sitting in the office trying to find out a very smart application. I've always started my companies with a lot of consulting, but this is important. My companies have never met with a CEO or an executive and said, excuse me, what's your business problem? And that's a typical management consulting company that you're listening to the customer, what's your business problem? We have always, in my companies, presented theses, which is very much, we could increase your revenue and profit. So if you have another problem, you know, then you should use another management consulting company. So it have always been the same offering and it have always been the same delivery, which means that you could package the sales process and make it scalable easier than if you just ask the CEO, what's your problem? What do you need help with? And then you say, oh, that's exactly what we're an ex expert on. And then the delivery process have always been the same. And when it comes for the CEO's business problem, it's very much how fast could CEO reach down through all managers, middle managers, team leaders, down to the employees and make it actionable and understandable. So that's the timeline for that, which if you don't have a digital application, it's normally too long. It's quarters, normally years, until the organization is aligned, if you're a mid-sized or large organization. The next step is that it's not enough that our employees just understands what they should focus on and why we do this. It's actually also which activities should I prioritize in order to improve revenue and profit. So what should I do to improve tomorrow today? So what we have done then is exactly the same type of services for customer after customer after customer after customer. We have not done different type of services for each customer. And a lot of this is about politics, you know, what's in it for that and that type of manager or executive, what's in it for this type of ma middle management type of, of role, what's in it for me uh, as an employee, if I'm in IT, HR, sales or finance. And it's very, very similar between different companies, regardless of what market they are acting within. You know, I think what I want to do here is just jump ahead one topic on our list of topics. And I want you to really explain what this product does, like what the concept is and the reality of working with Howie. Because I think we haven't done that justice here. And I want to make sure people understand what it is that's on offer. Sure, sure. So normally when a company have done the strategy, it's very common that strategy is it's done as a business plan or something. So it's normally done in Excel or Word or PowerPoint. And people starting to bring in the most important goals, which initiatives do we have to focus on? Which activities do we have to do better? How could we shorten the timeline, et cetera? That's normally where our customer is when we enter them. What normally have happened before they start to use our product is that what they have done after the strategy, you know, with these Word documents and PowerPoint and Excel, it's not measurable. It's not actionable. They have not done the prioritization which is needed. They have no way to measure this. So 
what we do is very much to take those type of documents, prepare that. We do a workshop with the CEO and the executive team where we help them to prioritize. So it's a true top-down. It has to be top-down, bottom-up. But most of the companies before we arrive has actually, the CEO has delegated this. It's more bottom-up than top-down, which means that if the CEO haven't decided what's most important, which is in 90% of the cases, increased revenue and profit before a certain date or year, if that is not decided, then it's very difficult for executives or middle managers and especially the employees to decide what they should focus on in order to have this input. And our application is very much that you just put in what's your most important goals. For example, just typical is that you would like to increase profit or revenue uh, or, and something else. So strategic initiatives is, for example, that you would like to go from 6% profit to 12% profit because your competitors have 12% profit for several years. Then, of course, the board will tell the CEO that one of the most important goals for you or must-win battles is that you have to go from 6 to 12% profit. That's something you can't delegate to someone it's something you as a CEO really needs to steer, measure, and focus on. Another strategic initiative could be that the company would like to become more environmental, go green, in order to have an impact on the stock market or the type of investors. The same thing. It's a lot of money. It's something that can't be delegated to one or two executives. It's where the whole company needs to help. So you put very much in the most important goals. You put in the initiatives in our product and then it's a way in our product to simplify this so it gets understandable for managers within different departments and employees within different departments after that when that is done our product is combined with a 15 minutes acceleration meeting starting from the bottom so it's bottom up where the team leader with the employees are focusing on which activities should we improve? So it's a 15 minutes meeting. The week after, it's a 15 minutes following up using our application. And then after 15 minutes, this team leader is moving up to his manager and it goes all the way up. So the CEO and the executive team have this 15 minutes uh, acceleration meeting. So what happens is that the company becomes focusing on activities in order to improve revenue and profit in this case, instead of reacting when the revenue and profit is not good enough. So the company becomes more proactive, you are motivating, you are measuring activities in order to have an impact on the output, the actions. So it's really like a strategy orchestration platform, right? In a way? Yes, it is. But we have learned the hard way that Strategy execution is, is a word which is very misused and it, it means different for different type of people. So we are more talking about strategic initiatives, something that is very, very important, maybe the most important in the strategy, but the strategy may include 15 other areas as well, but they are not the most important and that's why they shouldn't be in our product. So why is it so hard for companies to execute on strategy? I mean, the statistics are pretty miserable on the failure rate of strategic initiatives, isn't it? 
90% fails. Our customer are actually successful in 95% of the cases and the return of investment is eight to 25 times the investment within 12 months, which means that the product is pre-made, it's just to start. But to answer your question, it is based on that as a CEO, it has been very popular and the best way to be a CEO is to delegate. And that's correct that the CEO should delegate. But within some areas, when the CEO is delegating a strategic initiative, that's when you get these problems. And to try to do this without a digital application will not work. And if you're using our application, for example, and the CEO is not using the application, the CEO is not having this 15 minutes acceleration meeting, they will fail. But if you take a mid-sized, a large company today, I mean, we would never question. I would say that it would be very, very surprising to find a company that don't have a financial application or a head of sales that don't use a CRM application or someone who is in charge of HR that is not using a business critical application for HR. Think about them. You are the CEO. You and the board have decided that we need to do something significantly, something which is not this day-to-day operational. And think about that. The CEO's organization is about 10 times larger than the head of sales. And the problem and the challenge for the CEO is that it's not enough that each CEO is doing better. It's the cross-functional that needs to accelerate and work better together. So if the CEO can't delegate what we call strategic initiatives, then it will not work. So I think it's very much about micro delegation and it's about to trust the executives, to trust the managers and trust the employees when it comes to what they should focus on. But you need to decide what is our focus, what should they start from, and then have a true top-down, bottom-up process, then it works. And let's dig into that idea of micro-delegation. Can you explain what that means and how it works in practice? Sure. Our application is called How We, How We. And it's very much about that it's not enough to delegate this type of initiative to go from 6 to 12% profit. You can't put that on the head of sales or the head of Europe. You need the whole company to help you to focus and do better in whatever I have decided as most important. In this case, to go from 6 to 12% in profit. And the micro delegation means that you could decide as the CEO what's most important. The manager reporting to you have to come up with the most important goals and the initiatives really supporting what's most important for you. Not whatever, not just look good that I'm going to do more. It's a focus, it's a prioritization. And this is going on all the way down. So a person reporting to someone above have to come up with the most important goal and the initiatives supporting exactly what the manager above needs. But it's a top-down, bottom-up process, which means that my boss is not telling me what I should focus on. I, me and my team could actually brainstorm and come up with what we think will have the biggest impact for the boss above. But the person above have a veto, so he could say that, that this is not really within what I'm looking for. So you get a debate about this. And then in our application, it's a way to make sure that this could happen in a very rapid time frame. So if you're a mid-sized or large organization, 
you know, it takes weeks to get down to all employees in this way. So they feel that it's bottom up as well. And then it's a way to see in the product where it stops because it's very common that it stops somewhere. And if it stops on one person, because delegation is great, right? But it's also, it demands that each person is doing what this person committed to. So if it stops somewhere, you can see in the product that here's where I have stopped. And then of course you have to talk with that manager because otherwise it stops all the way down. That makes a lot of sense. And those of us who have implemented methodologies for you know hierarchical management, we've experienced that it's a very manual labor intensive process. So to be able to layer on a SaaS on top of that, pretty great idea. And I appreciate also the micro-delegation explanation. It's yeah. And, and Ken, if I could just add one thing there, I think it's interesting for people listening. You know, if you take a mid-sized big company or a small company, especially when you take a big company, it's not so complicated. If, if you look into, okay, what are we making revenues on? Right. What and it's probably products, services, service agreements, and so on. It's not hundred different type of areas we are doing profit or revenue on. And then the next thing is just to say, okay, what of all revenue sources we have, which could we impact? Which where could we do even better if we are more proactive and so on? And that's the most important goal. We should increase revenue from X to Y before date Z. Right. When it comes to increased margin, it's the same thing. If you ask a CFO, if you ask a CEO, they have a very good understanding of using the 80-20 rule where they have the big savings or where they could increase margins, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how it works. You don't have to be so complicated. And then it comes to the initiatives. What should we do in order to increase revenue? Or what should we do in order to increase margins? And the only thing we have done is to build in the application. So let's say that you're further out in the organization and you're several levels below the CIO and you have no clue. How could I help the company to increase profit? Then in our application, based on that, we have done this for so many other customers and IT departments and this type of role. The application would suggest that how could I do? Because otherwise I have no clue, you know, maybe cost savings, but not how I could have an impact on margin or increased revenue. And that is what our application is helping out with. So it's a lot of how for different roles. And that's why the employees likes our application. That makes a lot of sense. So you're helping them build their part of the execution. Hey, let's change gears a little bit. Early on in the episode, you talked about how you started where very little of the revenue was software, and now it's 96% software to 4% professional services kinds of revenue. So what does it take to go from you know a consultant with a little bit of technology to becoming a true SaaS? What's that journey look like? What's the secret there? It's a quite long journey. As I said in the beginning, I have never built a company just sitting in the office trying to figure out an application. You have to work together with the customer. So in our case, we have very much developed two different things. One is to sell to a CEO, how to do that in an efficient way. And that's, of course, much easier to sell to a CEO for a small company with you know 50 to 300 employees than it is to sell to a CEO, which is in charge of 20,000 or even more employees. So you have to develop some sort of application in order to help you to do that more efficient. And in our case, 
we increased the hit rate from 6% during several years to 17%, even if we are a software company. So, which means that if we meet a CEO nowadays, it's 17% chance that he will buy our software. When it comes to the application, it's also the same thing that in the beginning, if you have a small company, the CEO could convince the organization that, you know, maybe this is not the best application or most fun to use, but I want you to use this because I really need your help to increase revenue and profit. That works in small companies. But when you get to larger companies, which we have mid-sized and large companies, uh, very large companies, if you are like 10 or 10 or 15 levels below the CEO, you don't use an application just based on that the CEO is saying that. So what we have spent very much money and time on the last five years, I would say, is to make sure that the application gives you as a manager, team leader and employees so much that you really would like to have this application. You understand how you could save time. You understand how it could help you. What's in it for me? And that was not the case like four or five years ago. So it sounds like it's a constant refinement of the product based on engaging with the different users and what their interests really are, right? So you start with a kernel and build out from there. Yes. And I, I would say that our application have always been very appreciated by CEOs and managers and so on, but it has become so much better for employees and middle managers or team leaders. And that is, of course, needed if you would like to keep the customers have low churn. Hey, what's the future for Howie? How are you going to expand in the U.S.? It's a quite boring goal, but we are trying to become Salesforce, but for CEOs that, you know, our application must be bought also to all managers and employees. And the way we are doing that is via partners. So I came over here one and a half year ago and very much started from nothing in order to find management consulting companies and to find them to get their help to either recommend or resell our application. So partners is our major strategy for growing in the U.S. and internationally. And that seems to work very well. I think that we have probably lost a lot of partners in the beginning when they thought they were going to be a reseller or something like that, or they didn't want to recommend our product for an end customer. And we didn't understand their thinking enough. But nowadays, it's normally a very good discussion and some of them don't even want to have the commission. They just want to be on the customer side. But what I'm always telling them is that when it comes to this type of strategic initiatives, it's not fair to not tell the CEO that it's actually a digital solution out there, which could you know, shorten time, not 10%, but by maybe 90%, that could increase revenue and profit in a measurable way, in a much, much faster way than before. Uh, I love that idea of, you know, accelerating the success of the consultant's recommendations. It becomes almost in their best interest to recommend you as sort of the next thing. You know, you agree on the strategy. How are you going to make it real? You use Howie. That's how we're going to do it. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And what we have learned is to tell them actually to recommend the digital business critical application for this. They don't have to recommend our application but we could at least get the chance among others to discuss with the CEO how this could be done. Because of course they meet a lot of CEOs that are stressed and would like to accelerate increased revenue and profit. 
And then it's not fair to not at least have the CEO to listen to this and maybe see a demo or maybe talk with some of our reference customers. But it's very common, actually, that they our partners don't want any commission because they want to stay on the customer's side, so to say, which yeah. is very nice to see, actually. It allows them to be true independent consultants from that point of view. That's great. Yes. Hey, if people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? And how can they learn more about your company? I'm big into LinkedIn. So it's just my first name and my last name. I'm a mentor of several people. I like new people to meet new people. So I'm always interested. And otherwise, the company name is Howie. So it's www.howwe.io based in New York. That's great. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate your insights, the time we shared today. If listeners want to reach me, I'm on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. My company is austinlawrence.com. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so wherever podcasts are distributed and get more great insights from CEOs like Ulf. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Cam, for having me over. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempet at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe, and thanks again for listening.